spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. I don't know the rest of the words. Shrieking skulls, guns, shock your soul. Fill your something night. I don't know the words. You got more than me. Hi guys, welcome to a spooky, scary episode of Grabback Podcast. Wait, can we, can we talk about how you started off the episode? Hi guys. Um, Hi, well, well, this is a spooky episode, so we should be spooky. Hi guys. I can't be corpse husband for you. I'm sorry. I'm like, like, I wouldn't want you to because we're related. Because we're related. I was like, you wouldn't want me to be because we're related. Um, Hi, guys. Spooky, scary Halloween episode. I love Halloween. That's why I'm excited, you little bitch. Oh, I'm Riley, by the way. Oh, yeah, I'm Rachel. I'm Riley's little bitch. If you don't know that by now and you're here for just a Halloween episode, why? Okay. Why? (laughs) Um, So for our spooky, scary Halloween episode uh, that I forced Riley into, we have this book (laughs) that used to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. It's called Dare to be Scared, and it is written by Robert D. Sansucci, and with and it has illustrations by David Wiemet, Ahmet, or something. And this book scared the shit out of me. I got it at a book fair in kindergarten. So we're going to read you a couple stories. We're going to read you two stories each. These stories are a little long. Um, but not extremely. But not extremely long. So, so if you're just here for some spooky time fun with us, let's get it. Also, just a warning. I am going to stutter through this, and we're going to have a fun time. Yep, 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 yep. I probably should have gotten wine for this, but whatever. What else? So, uh, I'm going to start with our reading. We're not going to read you all the stories, because, again, they're a little long. This book is, like, 80 or something pages. Oh, this book is like almost pages? 200 pages. Yeah. It is 170-something pages Any long. stories about, like, 15 pages? No, seven, it's like 159, pages? and there's 13 pages. So, each each... There's 13 stories, it's 159. Each story is about a little over 11 pages. Yeah. So that's, that's quite a bit of story. Yeah. So we're just going to read one, and uh, we're not reading them in the order of the book either. I'm, I just picked my two favorite, and I picked out two favorite for Riley, and I was like, read these, see if you like them. And she was like, okay, but only read those two. So. Sorry. I'm, I had time to prepare, and I did not. All right. So my first story, this is one that fucked me up, because ju- Riley was just born when I got this book. Riley didn't read the story, right? I didn't. Okay, good. It's called The Halloween Spirit. Great. Okay. Keisha looked through the front window. The sky was still light, but already lots of kids were out on the street trick-or-treating. Their costumes were funny or scary or dumb. She recognized her friend Jamal. He had taken off the head of his outfit and was holding the foil-covered box decorated with twisted wire coat hangers in one hand and wiping his forehead with the other. Keisha guessed it was pretty hot inside the box which only had two little eye holes and ear holes in it. She put a hand up to her mouth and laughed. Just what was he supposed to be, she wondered. A robot? A spaceman? A walking computer? He had clearly made the costume by himself. Two more boxes made up the body. He had wrapped more aluminum foil around his arms and legs. She was glad she didn't have to go trick-or-treating with anyone who looked that stupid. Also, I am Keisha in this story. (laughs) Okay. She turned to look at herself in the hall mirror. Her mom had made her Egyptian princess costume. She looked like Cleopatra, with gold-painted headdresses, lots of her mother's bracelets and necklaces, and skirts of heavy blue and gold material that cost more than than her mother had planned to spend. 
But it was what Keisha wanted. And what Keisha wanted, she usually got. Usually. Tonight, her mother was insisting on something the girl didn't want at all. She was supposed to take her little sister, Janelle, trick-or-treating. Keisha had whined and stamped her foot and argued that none of her other friends would have to take their little sister or brother out with them, but her mother wouldn't listen. Isn't she ready yet? She yelled down the hall to Janelle's bedroom, where her mother was fixing the last of the younger daughter's costume. We'll miss all the good stuff. Hush, her mother answered. You won't miss anything. A minute later, she announced, There, we are all set. She came down the hall, leading five-year-old Janelle by hand. The child was dressed as a witch in a store-bought costume she had picked out for herself. Her mother had to shorten the black skirts a bit because Janelle was so small. She had her plastic witch mask pulled down, the green warty skin, long crooked nose, scraggly yellow teeth, and clip-on green-tipped fingers were so been there, done that. Keisha could barely stand it. The pointed plastic cap on her head had some fake curls sewn onto it, hiding Janelle's cornrows interwoven with the bright-colored beads. She was carrying a plastic broom in one hand. In the other hand was a papier-mâché pumpkin to hold her Halloween treats. Keisha felt fresh anger at her sister and mother. She tried one last time. Mama, it's not fair that you make me take her. Her mother held up her hand. That is the end of it. You'll do as you're told or you're not going out at all. Come on, Keisha said, grabbing Janelle's hand roughly. Ow, Mama, make her stop. Janelle pulled away. Keisha! The girl got the message in that one word. With a sigh, she took Janelle's hand extra gently. Don't either of you eat anything until you come home. I want to take a closer look at what you've got before you take a taste. Yes, Mama, said Keisha. And stay out of the park. Those big kids get up to mischief there. I know, Mama, said Keisha. The park was exactly where she intended to go sooner or later, as soon as she got rid of the tag-along who surely tattle. They went first to a few close-by houses. Even though her sister was smaller, Keisha felt Jan- Janelle was deliberately walking slowly. It took them forever to reach each front door, while other groups of kids hurried up and down and moved to the next house. At this rate, Keisha figured, she was going to get at least Hall- the least Halloween treats ever. And people fussed over the little girl in her Rite Aid outfit, hardly noticing, noticing Keisha's costume. Walk faster, she ordered, giving Janelle's arm a sharp tug. Ow, I'm telling... Mama's not here. Be quiet. You really are a little witch, you brat. Mama told you to be nice, said Janelle. She sounded ready to cry under her witch's mask. A ghost, skeleton, devil, and mummy passed them, laughing as they headed up the street. Hey, Keisha, you look good, said the ghost in her friend Michelle's voice. Coming to the park? Not yet. I gotta take care of this miserable little witch. Too bad, said her friend. The four ran off in the direction of the park. You're spoiling everything Keisha snarled now Janelle really did start crying hey hey I'm sorry said Keisha she really wasn't but she knew if Janelle got got going there'd be no stopping her tears she lifted the mask dried her sister's tears Riley's just staring at me because (laughs) this is what sisters are like this is what sisters are like okay um she lifted the mask dried her sister's tears and put the mask back by the time they'd poked along to two more doors, Keisha realized that only little kids in costumes and their parents were out. All the kids her own age had vanished. Her own age had vanished, probably to the park. She made up her mind. She'd get in trouble, but she was going to. Come on, she insisted, half dragging a protesting Janelle along. We're going to the park. Mama said no. 
and she scares me. It'd be cool. All my friends are there. You'll have fun. Mama said no. Look, I'll give you half my candy if you go. I don't want any more candy. And Mama said no. Well, I say yes. She gave Jolene's arm the hardest yank she could. The girl wailed like she was being killed. Keisha ignored her, marching along and never letting go. Janelle had to run her on her short little legs to keep up. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> they had just reached the edge of the, edge of the city park when Janelle broke free and started running her home. I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm telling, she screeched. Keisha tried to follow, but her sandal caught in the hem of her Egyptian skirts. Down she went onto the lawn as Janelle rounded the corner and disappeared down the street. Keisha climbed to her feet. There were wet grass stains down one side of her skirt. Her headdress had fallen off, and one side was pushed in. Run on home, you little witch, she called after her long-gone sister. Trying to straighten her headdress, she stomped into the park, looking for her friends. It was a pleased Keisha who found them in the hollow, spider-webbed space under the old-fashioned band, sh- uh, under the old-fashioned band shell where groups played music in the summer. Here, they'd be hidden from the eyes of parents or police. Some of the older kids had beer and cigarettes and stuff. Keisha was too smart to mess with any of that. She was already in big trouble, she was sure. Well, she told herself, she'd deal with Janelle and her mama later. And after all, it was Janelle's world word against her own. She could get one of her friends to back her up. They'd say Janelle ran home, and Keisha looked everywhere for her. The idea of avoiding trouble and maybe getting Janelle grounded cheered her. Her best friends were clustered around a bunch of red, white, and black candles. Cassandra, whose grandmother had come from New Orleans and who believed in all kinds of magic, had taken some of the woman's hoodoo. She was busily lighting the candles. What's she up to now? asked Keisha, sitting down near Michelle. She hated Cassie, who was always cool and was the one of their friends accepted as a natural leader of the group. That was a role Keisha wanted, but never won. Cassie's going to conjure up a monster for us, Michelle whispered back. She rolled her eyes and say, oh yeah, sure. Shouldn't mess with that kind of stuff, Jamal said uneasily. It never works, said Michelle, but it's fun to pretend. Following Cassie's directions, ten of them sat in twos, each a pair at the point of the five-pointed star. Cassie called it a pentagram. She had drawn it in chalk on the po- uh, she had drawn it in chalk on the poured concrete flooring. Cassie knelt in the middle, weaving her hands over the lit candles in front of her. Keisha and Michelle, one of the pairs, got a cast of giggles, barely stopping before Cassie could order them out. I summon the nearest spirit of Halloween, said Cassie. Everyone else began to chant, appear, 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 as Cassie had told them to. Feeling silly, Keisha joined in. She avoided looking at Michelle, sure they both start laughing again. The chanting grew louder. The older kids began laughing at them, but they warned them to quiet down before the cops came to bust them off. I feel a spirit, said Cassie, who seemed to be caught up in her own mumbo-jumbo. She made her voice so deep that for a minute Keisha believed that a spirit had taken over her friend's body. Like in The Exorcist. Then Michelle wriggled her nose and in a way that gave Keisha the giggles. Quiet! Cassie yelled so loudly she startled even the older kids in the silence. She continued in the strange deep voice. The spirits are here to share their power. If you laugh at them, they'll put a curse on you. Make your peace with them and you'll get a wish. Tired of seeing Cassie at center stage, Keisha said, well, yeah, if there were spirits here and not you, just you pretending, I'd have them make pieces of my little sister, who's always been trouble for me. She began to laugh at her own bad joke. Michelle and a few of the others joined in weakly as if they might be believing what Cassie said. 
A wish for evil is often turned back on the wisher, Cassie, Cassie warned. The spirits play a dangerous game. Well, this game is over because I don't want to play anymore, Keisha announced. She stood up steadily. Don't break the pentagram, screeched Cassie. Get over the game, girl, sneered Keisha. Your spirits are nothing and neither are you. There was a sudden flash of blue as all the candles flared at once. Who farted? yelled Jamel, falling backward into a pretend faint. The pentagram dissolved into laughter. Idiots, Cassie said, pinching out, uh, out her grandmother's candles. Hey, we didn't get a spirit after all, said Michelle. Only it's kind of a puny one. Or we did get a spirit after all, said Michelle. Only it's kind of a puny one. Everyone looked to where she was pointing. Janelle, in her green witch mask, was standing there in the enclosed space. She had her toy broom and her pumpkin of candy, and she was staring at her sister. Oh, man, groaned Keisha. I'm going to be so busted when the brat tells Mama what's going on here. She knew the younger girl would be sure to talk about the beer and stuff the older kids had brought. Give her your candy, or tell her you'll knock her on her... uh, Give her your candy, or tell her you'll knock into her next Halloween. Michelle suggested. She doesn't want any more candy. The little witch knows I won't hit her. Maybe you can sweet talk her. Maybe, but I bet I'm grounded for a month. Keisha got to her feet and dusted off her costume. It was a big mess as her whole it was it was as big a mess as her whole night had become. She held her hand out to her sister. Janelle took it. Her hand felt cold. You're not sick, are you? Because if you are, I'll get blamed for that too. Then here's the picture, Riley. Thank you for the picture. Yeah, here's the picture. Thank you. (laughs) Janelle shrugged. She followed silently, tugged along by her big sister. Halfway across the park, Keisha said, Aren't you hot in that mask? Janelle shook her head. Whatever. You going to tell Mama what happened tonight, where I've been? Janelle nodded. Which? How about if I give you half my allowance? No, all of it. You still going to tell? Another nod. Keisha jerked her sister's arm angrily. The girl hissed in surprise. Keisha hoped it really hurt her. Why did you come back? To spy on me? Janelle said nothing. Why don't you talk, little witch? She jerked the arm again and got an answering gasp when she was sure she meant pain. She meant pain. She let go of the other's still freezing hand. She grabbed the paper mache pumpkin and emptied it into her own bag. Might as well get something out of this night. Janelle tagged along quietly. Keisha dropped the empty pumpkin after a few steps. You like this, don't you? She asked. She nudged the... You like this, don't you? She asked. She nudged the jack-o'-lantern with her toe. Janelle nodded. Too bad, said her sister, who felt anger busting out in every direction like the points of Cassie's pentagram. She slammed her foot down three or four times, flattening the pumpkin to an orange-yellow wad. Your pumpkin? My Halloween? They're both wrecked now. They were out of the park now, and she was rushing her little sister so that the little girl tripped twice. Each time, the plastic broom clanked on the sidewalk. Keisha yanked Janelle to her feet as roughly as she could. She was surprised that the other didn't yell or burst into tears. She just took it, which wasn't like Janelle at all. Maybe she was sick, Keisha thought, feeling a little guilty for a minute. But only for a minute. Around the corner, and there was their house. Here comes trouble, Keisha muttered. Big time. At their mailbox, Keisha looked up the path to the front door with the feeling a prisoner might have looking down the last mile to the electric chair. As she started up the path, Janelle suddenly got weird. She clamped her hand around Keisha's wrist and hid behind the folds of her sister's costume. Her small hand felt as a, as a handcuff, felt as tight as a handcuff. 
They were almost to the front porch when the door opened and light poured down the steps. Their mother appeared at the doorway. Janelle still hidden behind Keisha, holding onto her hand for dear life. Keisha, her mother said, get yourself up here. You've got plenty of explaining to do. Keisha took another step. Her right arm was still behind her, locked in Janelle's grip. Why was her sister acting so crazy, she wondered. She expected the brat to be running to their mother with all sorts of tears and tattle. I'm sorry, Mama, she said. You should be. Your sister coming home in tears and all. I've only just got her to calm down. What do you mean, Mama? Keisha felt Janelle's hold on her wrist tighten to the point of painfulness. Ask your sister, not me. Janelle, munching on an apple, appeared beside her mother. She was still wearing her witchy skirts, but she had taken off the mask and pointed hat. She had her green-tipped plastic nails wrapped around the apple like the witch in Snow White. You were mean, Keisha, she said, sticking out her tongue. Confused, Keisha spun around to face the Janelle who had her in a wrist lock. For a moment, the two just stared at each other. And then the short, masked figure began to grow and grow. The fingers that held Keisha turned strong as steel bands, and the mask was no mask, for the mouth was moving. Happy Halloween, cried the witch, who now was nearly eight feet tall in her pointed cap. You've caught the Halloween spirit, and it's caught you. The toy broom had grown huge along with its mistress. Mama, Janelle, help, Keisha begged, but her mother was rooted in shock. Janelle fled into the house, screaming. She dropped her apple, bouncing down the steps. The mother just gaped as the witch, skirts billowing, spiraled onto her broom into the night sky, hauling Keisha along. Faster and faster they spun, witchy black and Egyptian girl in gold, a blur, whirling like a tornado. The Egyptian headdress hit the mailbox, rolled into the gutter, and an instant later, pieces of the costume and Keisha followed like soft, pattering rain. So that's the end of that story. Hey, Rachel, don't be mean to me. Hey, Rachel, don't be mean to me. Maybe you won't get ripped to pieces. <laughs> Every time I wanted to be very, very mean to you, I always thought of this story, which is, like, the whole point of, like, scary stories and, like, Krampus and shit. Yeah. It's to teach kids lessons, but I was like, shit, I'm gonna get kidnapped and ripped apart by an Halloween spirit if I'm too mean to Riley. <laughs> and you know what? I, I thank this book. I thank this book. All right. So I'm gonna read The Dark, Dark House. The four boys, Eddie, Joe, JB and Randy looked at their friend Peter. Remember, Joe said, the deal's that you gotta go all the way into the big bedroom upstairs and write the date in chalk beside the closet there. And put your initials, added JB. That will prove you were there, Joe finished. All five turned to look down the hill towards the old Brewster house. The deserted place, all the kids in town was sure was haunted, had been empty since long before Peter and the others had even been born. Soon, it would be torn down to make way for new townhouses. Bulldozers and trucks had already begun clearing and leveling the vacant lots that surrounded the solitary house. Through the moonlit Brewster house stood stubbornly amid the surrounding changes. Soon, the the records would come by by and tear it down. The neighborhood kids were looking forward to that. But tonight, the boys had come to check check out one last time the story that a ghost, or something... Proud the house at midnight. All the boys had been brave enough to explore the houses during the day, even though signs warned trespassers away. But they had gone as a group. None of them wanted to be alone inside, even when the sun was shining. Only a double daring, only a lot of double daring, and the promise of collecting the allowances of the other four boys 
had made Peter agree to make this midnight visit alone. The boys had been planning this adventure for days, deciding how they, should, how they could sneak out and meet without their, any parents finding out. So far, everything had worked out just fine. Yet, though, he didn't tell his friends. Peter was beginning to wish that something had gone wrong and that he had been grounded for the night. But they all were here. There was, this ha- there was the house, and Joe was saying, It's almost time. Unless you're going to chicken out on us. No way, said Peter. He was annoyed that his dry-as-a-bone throat made his voice sound like a frog's croak. Joe smirked. Peter ignored him and made a show of patting his jean pockets to be sure he had his flashlight and the chalk so he could write the date and his initials in the big upstairs bedroom. That was where, supposedly, someone had been killed by a monster or scared to death by a ghost or simply vanished. There were as many different stories about the room as there were kids to share them. Even as he made a show of being brave, Peter remembered the worst story he had heard. But there's no getting out of this challenge now. No midnight monster could be as bad as having his friends call him a chicken. So he started walking down the hillside towards the old road and the crumbling house on the other side. He looked back only once and saw his friends sitting by side by side sharing candy bars Eddie had brought and, and watching him to see where his courage would give out. They were all sure he'd never make it through the loose board on the window that the kids used to sneak in and out during the day. I'll show you all, Peter whispered. Though he walked as slowly as he could and still not look like he was scared, he had reached the road and the rusted iron gate, and finally the front porch far off, far too soon. He had been in the house with the others during the day. Now he tried to tell himself that it really wouldn't be that different by night. And the stories about monsters and ghosts and junk were only stories. Just before he had lifted the board that would let him slip inside, he turned and gave a big, defiant wave to his friends on the hill. He saw them and waved back. He saw them wave back. They seemed so tiny in the moonlight. The dark, dark house seemed higher and wider than it ever looked in the sunshine. He climbed through the window. Behind him, the board dropped back into place with a soft chunk that made him jump. The room inside was dark, dark, dark. He snapped on his flashlight, but the beam was weak. Now he remembered that he had meant to get new batteries before he came here. The light was only a thin sphere of brightness stabbing into the black. Rachel's not having a fun time remembering this. I forgot about that. Again, I haven't read this book in years, 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 years. Ah, I just remember this one. This one really fucked me up, and I tried to tell our friend Andres about it once, and he was like, "That's not scary." And I was like, "Well, you had to like read it." <laughs> All right. So, the light was only a thin spear of brightness stabbing into the black. It picked out it picked out the side of a wooden box, some fallen plaster, and the corner of a rug so old and mildewed that it looked like it was growing on the floor. Something in the hall beyond the room went chink chink. Peter froze. Hello, he said, his voice a little more than a whisper. Is anybody there? His words seemed to stick in his throat, which had gone too tight to let out much sound. Nobody answered. Taking a deep breath, he crossed the dark, dark room and entered an even darker hall. Hello, he said louder this time. Nobody answered. Down the gloomy hall he went. Up the dark, dark stairs, jumping with every step that creaked and most of them did. At the top, he paused to listen. Silence, except for the faint chink-chink sound. He angled the flashlight 
beam and saw an old light fixture in the stairwell ceiling. Its hanging glass beads wrapped, a, wrapped in spiderwebs made the chinking sound as they jostled together in a stray draft. He could feel the same cold air on the back of his neck, and he shivered, as if a ghost had puffed its icy breath on him. He fought the urge to run away. He was too close to his goal to back out now. The door to the bedroom he had to enter was closed. He reached for the knob, half afraid that he would see it and begin to he, he would see it begin to turn by itself, as if something inside got ready to pop out. That's the sort of thing that happened in the scary DVDs he loved to watch with Randy and Randy's older brothers. Don't stop now, he urged himself. He pushed the door wide open. He pushed the door wide on the darkest space yet. Across the room, the door to a dark, dark closet was wide open. A little moonlight came through the windows caked with dust. That was good, because the batteries in his flashlight gave out at that moment. But the wall between the shadowy closet and the dark corner caught just enough light so he could write. He, so he could see to write. Quickly, he got out his chalk and scribbled the date and his initials. Something sighed in the dark, dark closet. Peter turned, and he couldn't get his feet moving. There, he was sure he had he had again heard something breathing or whispering in the inky interior. Something soft fell in the closet. Peter yelled. Out of out jumped a dark, dark nothing. Smooth move, chicken, he mocked himself. He tried to shake the flashlight back to life. No luck. He had turned to go. Something soft tucked in the closet. Fool me once, shame on you, he said, repeating once, uh, w one of his mother's favorite sayings. Fool me twice, shame on me. He turned to go. Something dark and big put a cold, hairy hand on his shoulder. Nobody's fooling anyone, said the voice as cold as the hand. Peter yelled, twisted free of the hand, and ran out of the bedroom. He paused just long enough to slam the door shut. It stuck for a moment. Then he heard something rattling the knob. He half stumbled, half fell down the stairs. He was raising the window board when he heard something come bumping, thumping, galumping. <laughs> yes, galumping. Galumping down the stairs behind him. I have to make sure it's galumping. Um, he threw himself out of the opening, bruising his shoulder. For a, mo for a minute, his jeans cuff caught on a nail, but he ripped it free. Now he was running down the path, past the rusty iron gate, across the road. Without stopping, he looked back. Two hairy arms slashed the board off the window, sending it flying into a bush. A huge form squeezed through a moment later. The giant shadowy shape chased him. Peter ran faster, struggling up the hill towards his friends. But if he thought they were going to help him, he was wrong. The minute they saw something following him, Eddie, Joe, JB, and Randy scattered in four different directions, each of them yelling his lungs out. The shadowy thing was catching up. Fear gave Peter an extra burst of speed. He crossed the top of the hill and charged down the, the brush-covered slope on the far side. He took the path between the brushes and briars that were boy-sized but not wide enough for this big shadowy something that was chasing him. He heard brambles and branches snap and crackle as they snagged and caught at the monster, slowing it down. Across the edge of the cemetery, through the park, and onto the sidewalks of town, Peter ran, thinking of only getting home when he was just a few doors down from his house, and his legs were so tired he could hardly move them. 
he dared to turn and look back down Maple Street. The sidewalks and roads were empty. Under the full moon, nothing moved except a cat darting from one side of the street to the other. He had lost the thing. He was safe. Just a few more steps home. Peter turned into his own yard. He had just put his foot on the front step when the big, dark something grabbed him with two big, hairy hands. What's the matter? it rasped. Don't you like me? Fuck that shit, bro. Deadass? Nah. Deadass, that's one that used to scare the shit out of me, man. Okay. I have one more. Let me find it. How did I get... Okay, because I haven't read either of these... I haven't read either of these stories in a hot minute. As I keep saying, how did I get the only non-white stories in this book also? Because Keisha and all of her friends not only were drawn as uh, children of color, like they had uh, more ethnic names, I guess. That's like a really weird way to put it, but they were all intended to be black, which is cool. Great. How did I pick that out of memory? I don't know. This next one is about Mexicans. How did I do this? I don't know. Happy Halloween. I, okay, well, this one, yeah, this one's more accurate, but I couldn't remember if, like, the main character was Mexican-Hispanic um origin or it was just her grandma slash her mother's friend or whoever. The Anyway, this one's called Mrs. Moonlight, Senora Claro de Luna. So there's Espanol in it, but only slight Espanol. <laughs> okay. You're a bad girl, Maria Lucia, her abuela scolded. The nine-year-old shrugged. She hadn't meant to break Grandmother Amalia's vase. Amalia? Amalia. Okay. The nine-year-old shrugged. The nine-year-old shrugged. She hadn't meant to break her Grandmother Amalia's vase. It had happened because she was chasing Duzu... Dulzura? Dulzura? ¿Quién es tu Zura? ¿Cuál es tu Zura? Oh, it means sweetness. Well, because like dulce is like candy. Dulzura. How do you say it? Dulzura. Okay. We all learned something today. Okay. Um, it happened to be because she was chasing Dulzura, the old woman's cat. It was the cat's fault for refusing to be caught and petted and perhaps dressed in a doll skirt and gloves for making the girl run through the house after her. When the cat had skittered under the table behind the couch, the girl had followed and snared the cat by one hind leg, only to have the cat turn and scratch her hand. Startled, the girl had jerked back, knocking the table with fatal results for the vase. Blame, blame Dulzura, she pro- she protested. She held her head up in her hands to show four... She held up... Blame Dulzura, she protested. She held up her hand to show four red lines, with a tiny bead of blood on one where the cat had raked her. She began to cry. See how she hurt me, wicked gata? Amalia Lopez made a face. Much as she loved her granddaughter, her patience was wearing thin. The child ignored the simplest rules of good behavior did as she pleased, then argued or lied or wept every time she was caught doing wrong. And this was happening more and more often. The cat isn't wicked, Amalia said. 
It is someone else. Um, Maria Lucia bursts into tears. You hate me. You love the cat more than you love your own granddaughter. I want my mama. I don't want to stay here anymore. Her shoulders shook as she sobbed and sobbed. Her grandmother, in a sudden panic at the child's weeping, forgot her anger and her resolve. She pulled the child to her. Her daughter, Maria Lucia's mother, had left the girl in her keeping in Santa Rosita, New Mexico, and went on to her business in Dallas, Texas. For whatever reason, I just also happened to pick a story where we are smack dab in the middle of this, like, path that her poor mother took to go do business. Business. Um... Amalia knew her daughter had spoiled the girl terribly. She had proof of it every day. But she also knew her daughter wanted to give Maria Lucia the best life possible, since the girl's father had abandoned them just after the child was born. Amalia had offered her daughter and grandchild shelter. She hadn't realized she was going to become a second mother to the girl, as her daughter's ever more important work took her on longer and longer trips throughout the Southwest. Amalia was happy enough to take care of the girl, whom she loved deeply. If only the child would love her back. Or respect her, at least. But Maria Lucia was an increasingly willful child. Not only with her abuela, but also with her mama. Her grandmother every gave her every ounce of love she could to the child. Wrung her heart out. But the child just drank her love dry. Then found new ways to twist her heart. They sat for a long time. While Amalia soothed the child. And tenderly dressed the scratches. And assured her that Luzura didn't hate her, but was only defending herself because Maria Lucia had frightened her. Gata loca, the girl said sourly. The cat is crazy. Just be gentle, her grandmother insisted, still rocking the child on her lap. Through the girl's tears had long, or though the girl's tears had long dried up, if they were real tears at all, she sighed to herself. See, 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 said the child impatiently squirming out of her grandmother's embrace. She gripped a stripped ball. Uh, she grabbed a striped ball from this beside the door and ran out to the patio to play. Uh, Amalia just shook her head and crooked her finger at Duzera, Duzura, fuck, who poked her head out from under the couch. After a quick side-to-side glance to make sure Maria Lucia was nowhere around, the cat came and curled up on the old woman's lap. Aye, what are we going to do about that child? asked Amalia. But the cat, safe and comfortable, just purled contentedly. Soon the two were fast asleep. Outside, Maria Lucia soon grew tired of bouncing the ball off the house, forbidden by her grandmother, and the garden walls. She was sure the hurt done to her abuela's roses and other plants would not be discovered until her mother was home, and then scolding meant nothing. She gave the ball a final kick, sending it over the shoulder-high adobe wall into the sand waste beyond. Now what? she wondered, not interested in searching for the ball. Her mother would always buy her a new one. And then she saw a line of ants at the edge of the patio. They were going and coming through a crack in the wall, uh cracking the wall in two lines to their nest under a clump of dried grass. As she bent to look closer, her fingers splayed out over the patio. Several ants scrabbled over her fingers. Ah! She cried in disgust, standing and brushing them off. I'll show you! But how? Then she remembered the magnifying glass her mother used to read a small print on medicine bottles or in the letters from friends who wrote as though they were in a contest to see who could squeeze the most words onto a single page. She glanced in through the patio door. Her abuela was asleep and Duzura was curled on her lap. She promised herself she'd get her revenge on the scratching cat soon enough, but the ants held her interest at the moment. Sliding the doors open as quietly as possible, she went to her grandmother's desk, took out the bag, or took out the big, round magnifying glass, and hurried back to the patio's edge. 
There, she used the glass to focus the sun's rays on individual ants, tormenting the panicky workers, burning several to ashes. Growing impatient, she kept the hot point of the sunlight on the cluster of dried grass, sheltering the entrance to the anthill. To her satisfaction, the grass quickly burst into flame, which leapt from the first to that of the second and the third clump of grass. Maria Lucia scuttled back from the flames. As she did, the magnifying glass dropped onto the patio and shattered. Now five or six clumps of grass were burning. What have you done? shouted Amalia, who had been awakened by the reset who had been wakened by the restive cat, made by made nervous by the fire and smell of something burning. It wasn't my fault, Maria Lucia whined. Amalia ignored her and grabbed the garden hose. In a few minutes she had doused the burning black clumps of glass clumps of grass, but continued to soak them in case any spark remained. Nina, you could have burned down the house, cried her grandmother. I don't know how it happened, the girl said sulkily. And I don't suppose this wasn't your fault either. And I suppose this wasn't your fault either, said Amalia, using the toe of her shoe to push the broken magnifying glass towards her granddaughter. Duzera broke it. Duzura broke it, said the girl. What an amazing cat I have, said Amalia. While she is asleep on my lap, she takes a magnifying glass from the desk and sets fire to the garden. Extraordinary. You don't believe me. You never believe me, wailed, wailed Maria Lucia. Enough of your tears, real or pretend, said Amalia sternly. I must warn you that bad, so much bad behavior has put you in the danger of Signora Claro de Luna. Mrs. Moonlight comes at night to catch wicked children who mix the light of truth with the darkness of lies. She comes in the moonlight to take troublemakers away to the moon. There, they must clean her house and tend her garden and polish her silver until the end of time. You're making that up, the girl said. It's an old story you're using to scare me. I'll tell my mama you were scaring me. Some stories are old because they have truth in them and must be told over and over. Maria Lucia stuck out her tongue. You're a mean, lying abuela, and I hate you, and I don't want to stay here, and I want my mother now, or I'll scream and scream until she comes for me. And she did scream herself hoarse until the desperate old woman called her daughter in Dallas and told her she'd have to come early, that things had grown impossible with the child. Wearily, her daughter said yes. She would return. Her business was really done. She could afford to come home early. Put Maria Lucia on the phone, she said at last. With a small smile of victory, the girl took the phone. Abuela is always mad at me for no reason, and her cat scratched me, and she's trying to scare me with the stupid old ghost stories that I don't believe. In no time, the girl worked herself up to tears again. From across the room, her grandmother, stroking the cat, shook her head as soothing words of love poured from the phone into her granddaughter's ear. When she hung up the phone, Maria Lucia turned to her and said, You can't be mean to me my, anymore. Mama says so. Page turn, page turn. So my wishes count for nothing in my own house, her grandmother replied. But I want peace under my roof, so I'll only say that I try to love you. Lucera would be kind to you if you were kind to her. And Mrs. Moonlight is real, so have a care, child. But the girl just turned away and flounced out into the patio, not bothering to close the sliding glass door or the screen door. The old woman sighed and shut them both. Through the glass, she saw the girl looking at the burned grass with a smile that indicated she was proud of what she had done. Amalia decided she would have to talk to her daughter. Something had to be done about the child who was growing more wicked every day. But in her heart, she knew such talk would be useless. The girl twisted her mother around her finger as easily as a bean vine grows around a garden snake. A garden steak. 
fuck? I was like, how does that happen? That night, Maria Lucia woke suddenly. It was very late. Her bedside clock in the glow-in-the-dark face showed her it was 1.13 a.m. The house was asleep. Her abuela would be dreaming in her bed, and Dulcera curled at her feet. The full desert moon was shining brightly over a low range of hills. Scattered silver clouds clouds looked like wings. The night seemed bright as day. The girl was hungry. She had refused to eat much of her dinner to get back at her grandmother for so much scolding. In return, her grandmother had denied her any of the honey-sweetened cake that she could have for her dessert. The cake had gone back into the kitchen cupboard, untouched by either of them. She would help herself to the cake and deal with the older woman's anger in the morning. Quietly, she pushed back the light blanket and slid out of bed. But as soon as the doorway, as soon as she stood, but as she stood in the door of the living room where the moonlight flooded in through the tall windows, Marci- Maria Lucia thought of her grandmother's story of Mrs. Moonlight and paused, still in shadow. Then she laughed at her fear and said, Abuela's loca, just like her cat. She, star- she started for the kitchen, but froze when a sudden hiss came from the brightest pool of moonlight. Just like the sort of hiss of a rattlesnake. Had one of the deadly creatures slipped into the house? Maybe one time she had left the door open just to annoy her grandmother? Only daring to turn her head, because a rattler would be attracted by a sudden movement, she looked more closely at the puddle of light. There was no snake. She sighed so loudly in relief she was afraid she might wake her grandmother. But there was something odd about the moon pool. A swirl of dust motes was gathering above it, wisps of sparkling silver flecks. As she watched, hypnotized, they thickened into a silvery mist. Now the mist was swirling like a dust devil, growing more solid, taller. It began to take on the shape of a tall woman in long, pale skirts. Her face was veiled in white lace, so Maria Lucia couldn't see her eyes, but she was sure they were staring at her. The woman had long, fingerless white gloves. Her bony fingers ended in nails like talons that shone silver. She had many silver bracelets on her arms and a silver ring on each finger. Picture for Riley. Yeah, she's really pretty. She pointed at Maria Lucia and then crooked a long finger. Come, naughty child, she said. But the terrified girl shrank into the triangle of shadow in the corner between the two windows. She tried to call Abuela, but the word caught in her throat, which was as dry as the bottom of an arroyo. The sound reached no further than the ghostly woman, who gave a hiss as she peered into the girl's hiding place. The bent finger coaxed her again. I can't see you in the shadows, she said, her voice as sweet now as Grandma's honey cake. Come out into the light. Maria Lucia only scrunched herself into a ball as deep in the shadows as possible. She pressed her hands into her mouth so her frightened breathing wouldn't give her hiding place away. A sharp hiss. Then the veiled figure stepped, took a step closer. The silver claws pressed against the shadows as if the darkness were a pane of thick, tinted glass she couldn't reach through. The ghastly veil came loose, bobbing with a snake-like darts all around as it, as it looked for but unable to see the girl. Maria Lucia was chewing on her knuckles to keep from screaming. Why didn't her grandmother wake up? Why wasn't her mother here to save her? They didn't love her enough, she thought angrily. She didn't dare try calling out for her grandmother. Surely the creature would hear and find her in the dark. The ghostly hands, like big, pale spiders, crawled over the shadows as if seeking for a weak spot. A point where Mrs. Moonlight, for Maria Lucia had guessed right away who this was, could reach through and grab her and carry her off to the moon. 
She has no power in the shadows, the girl kept reminding herself. I will be safe if I stay in the dark until morning. You must come with me, Nina. The voice sounded kind, but Maria Lucia could hear a note of growing anger underneath the honey. Suddenly, the figure balled one hand to a fist and slammed it against a shadowed wall. The thump made the girl jump. Reach out your hand to me, Nina, the, girl, the figure insisted. If you make me wait for the shadows to go and my lovely light to fill the corner, things are going to be much worse for you. For a moment, the girl thought she could see silver teeth glittering under the veils, burning eyes round and shiny as two silver dollars seemed to lock on her own. The hunger in those eyes forced a little sound of fright out of her. With a hiss, the veil faced flattened against the shadow. Oh, I see you now. I see you now. The moon is shifting. The shadows are growing smaller. There was no hint of sweetness now, only rage. Naughty children to disobey. But you won't escape me much longer. It was true. The changing position of the moon was shrinking her shadowed hiding place. Maria Lucia pressed herself as far back into the corner as she could. The moonlight continued to edge around her feet. The veiled figure stood still and silent now, waiting. Like Dulzera, Dulzura, fuck me, I was going so well. Waiting, like Dulzura was when she was hunting a bird or lizard. Waiting to pounce, eyes like pools of mercury fixed on the shadow hiding the girl, claws ready. The moon continued its path along across the heavens. Light drank the shadows. The moonlight edged closer to her slippers. She tried again to call for her grandmother, but fear continued to rob her of her voice. Still, the moonlight advanced. Now, the shadow barrier was no thicker than sheer silk. The silver nails of one bony hand slashed at it, but still couldn't get through. It was only a matter of moments before her safety was gone. Tears filled Maria Lucia's eyes. She wanted to blame her mother and her grandmother and Mrs. Moonlight for her misery, but she realized she had brought this on herself. Broken vases and magnifying glasses, a frightened cat and tormented ants, and a loving mother and grandmother endlessly troubled and bullied by her lies and tears. Thoughts of all these rose to accuse her. In despair, she admitted she had brought the Moonlight horror upon herself. She whimpered. Mrs. Moonlight quivered with the excitement at the sound. Closer came the moonlight. Closer came the veiled figure. Closer the girl was standing now, arms at her sides, hiding in the last corner of the shadow. The claws were following the retreating edge of the shadow, ready to grab the girl in a deadly embrace. In a moment, the shifting moon would put her at the mercy of the veiled horror. Abuela! Maria Lucia screamed, finding her voice at last. Too late, cried Mrs. Moonlight with a series of sharp hisses that the girl guessed was a kind of terrible laughter. Moonlight touched her shoulders, the silver-tipped claws dug into the material of her nightdress. The overhead light snapped on, Mrs. Moonlight vanished into the brightness that banished Moonlight and the shadows together. Now what are you up to? asked Grandmother, her hand still on the light switch. But her anger turned to concern when she saw how pale her grandchild was. As she watched the girl slip to her knees on the floor in the corner of the room, she ran and gathered the child into her arms. She was here, the girl sobbed. Mrs. Moonlight! Nonsense, the old woman said. She's only a story. You had a dream. You must have been walking in your sleep. 
Oh, I wish I'd never told you about Senora Claro de Luna. But she's real, Maria Lucia protested. When you put on the light, you scared her away. She buried her face in the old woman's shoulder. I'm sorry for what I did. I'll be good. Really, I will. I don't want Mrs. Moonlight to get me. Poor child, poor child. There is no such thing. The woman insisted. You dreamed it, Nina. I'll show you. And before her grandmother, her granddaughter could stop her, Amalia snapped off the lights. You see, there's only pretty moonlight. Nothing to be afraid of. Forget my foolish story. With a triumphant hiss, hiss, hiss of laughter, Mrs. Moonlight flew through the window, grabbed Maria Lucia by the hair, and sped away with her. To Amalia's horror, the moonlit figures passed through the closed windows as if there were no more substance than moonbeams. By the time she reached the window herself, Amalia saw nothing more the, than the intertwined pale smudges racing along the last rays towards the setting moon. That story fucked me up, bruh. The story fucked me up, bruh. <laughs> the fuck? So this is our last story, guys. I hope you had fun. It's We're not making jokes or anything. Just because we're like... It's spooky time. We're spooked. We're spooked. This book used to sit in my room and just terrify the fuck out of me when I was little. Because you sit on a bookshelf and I could see the cover of it, which is a kid hiding from behind his blanket. So here's Riley's last story and our last story. Uh, we'll give our socials and stuff when Riley's done. I also have a story to tell about this book Um, after I'm done with the story. You don't want to tell him? Sure. So, uh, we talked about World Tour last episode. In my last year that we were doing World Tour, um, I was in a show. Oh. And uh, they don't tell you what day World Tour is until, like, the month of. And so they told me the the date, and it directly conflicted with the show date. And I had been trying for, like, three weeks to get out of this performance, but they would not let me out of it. They wouldn't let me out of the performance for uh, for any reason. So I had to go to my world tour teacher and be like, hey, I had to go to my teacher and be like, hi, I am in a show and they will not let me out of this performance. And keep in mind for the world. And it was for like the, the, the dance part, like the, cause we were doing a full last, we were doing a full last dance. And I was apparently like the star of it. People would look to me like during the performance, during like rehearsals and stuff so that they could know the moves. Cause I already knew them because I was a theater kid and I was annoying. Right. But I had to back out. And so I got yelled at by the principal, obviously, because you don't do that, like, a week before. Um, and then when they went to go practice at, like, the, the place, because we would walk there. as like, a whole school. We would walk th- to the to the place where we would perform at so we could practice, like, maybe, like, the week of. And um, I was I had to sit in the office reading this book over and over again. So that's just all the memories I have of this book are just me in the office Um in the fourth grade, almost crying. So, this last story is called The Collar. It was hot at Aunt Margaret's funeral. Being in a church had been tiring, but this was worse. Lindsay Walters had to stand in the hot sun, sweating in, a, in the ugly black, too heavy dress that her parents had made her wear, while the minister prayed on and on. The bunch of the flowers draped across a coffin had wilted. Lindsay almost giggled as she thought of Aunt Margaret in her coffin turning golden brown like a big biscuit in a toaster oven. Lindsay was angry because she should be at Missy's, helping her best friend get ready for a party. Except her mother and father and two brothers 
there were only a few dried up men and ladies from the old folks' home. And they got to sit on folding chairs, Lindsay thought. Well, we have to stand. A cell phone rang. Lindsay knew from the stupid Yankee Doodle went to town tune that it was her father's. He went red in the face. At least she knew enough to turn hers off so it wouldn't ring in the church or at the cemetery. Her father pulled out his phone out of its carrying case, shut off the signal, but glanced at the caller's phone number. He made a face and glanced at his watch. Then he put his phone back in his case and looked across at the minister. Happily, Lindsay saw that the reverend was just about done. As soon as the final prayers were said, the minister was patting her mother's hand. And the minister was patting her mother's hand. Lindsay ducked behind a tree, took out her own cell phone, and dialed Missy's number. It was busy. Probably her friend was making plans with Noel or Candace for the party. She had made a face at the phone, turned, and bumped into her father, who was talking into his phone. He shooed her back to her mother while he kept talking. Like, my calls aren't that important, Lindsay thought sourly. Her mother introduced to her some boring old ladies. She had to nod and look sad as they yacked about her aunt while her mother and brothers talked to the minister. When her father returned, Lindsay asked, Can we go now? I just have to make one more phone call, her father said. He moved off to where they couldn't overhear him. When the last old lady and minister had gone, Lindsay begged to her mother to, Please, please, please make daddy get off the phone so we can go. Stop whining, her mother said. But she waved impatiently at Lindsay's father. Show some respect, she ordered Lindsay's brothers, who, was try- who were trying to chirp each other in one of their weird games. Darren fell on his seat a few feet away from Aunt Margaret's coffin. She would be buried when they had left. David laughed. Their mother had ordered all of them into the car, and they marched over to- and then marched over to where Mr. Walters was still talking on the phone. The kids could see she wanted to get going. She made their father end his call. Now both of them were angry. Mr. Walters shoved his phone into his coat pocket, not into his holster. All right, let's get the show on the road. (laughs) White people. Uh, (laughs) He had said. But he had to go after Darren and David, who had climbed into the car and were now playing tag. Us. (laughs) Some people from the funeral had stopped by the house. Lindsay and her brothers had to sit around and smile while their sad-faced parents and guests drank coffee and tea and talked about how nice Aunt Margaret had been. As long as you didn't make her angry, said Mr. Walters with a sharp laugh. I remember as a kid, she could be a holy terror if she thought that someone would had, had been rude or lying or cruel. Lindsay knew what he was talking about. Her aunt had a real temper. Lindsay thought of the woman in heaven, terrorizing the angels for not being holy enough. She'd tune up the heavenly choir, all right, or feathers would fly. It was all the girl could do to keep from laughing aloud at the picture in her mind. But the guests had finally left. Lindsay had ran over to her to her room to change so that her father could drive her to Missy's party. When she was ready, she opened her red velvet jewel case and took out Aunt Margaret's ring, set with real diamonds and white gold. She'd always loved it, and her Aunt Margaret had promised it to her just before she died. Her mother wanted to keep it until Lindsay was older, but Lindsay had thrown one of the best tantrums and said that the old woman had wanted her to wear it always. She had made up that part, but it seemed to work on her mother, who only told her to wear the ring at special times. Well, showing, the sh- showing off to Missy and Noelle and Candace and the others was special. Her cell phone beside the jewel box rang. 
There was some strange crackling, then a lot of whispering, sounding like a crowd. Finally, a voice so tired and dry and old that it was hard to tell if this was a man or a woman said, Lindsay, darling, this is Aunt Margaret. Right. <laughs> nice try, Missy. Guys, I'll see you guys in a few minutes. Lindsay hung up and put her phone in her party bag. Slipping the rings in her jeans pocket so her parents wouldn't see, she rushed down to two step she rushed down the steps two at a time. Where's dad? He's supposed to drive me to Missy's. He's out in the car looking for his cell phone, her mother said. It fell out of his pocket. Sighing at the hopelessness of grown ups, Lindsay helped her father search the car, but the phone was gone. He was in a bad mood. So she was glad she was spending the night at Missy's after the party. Aunt Margaret's ring helped help make up for arriving late. All the girls at Missy's were jealous of the real diamonds on Lindsay's finger. She forgot about the phone joke. I hated to go to that smelly old folks' home, Lindsay told them. I just pretended I wanted to go because I wanted the ring. But Aunt Margaret thought it was nice, so she left me her ring when she died last week. Her cell phone rang. She grabbed her purse from beside the couch and answered it. Lots of static. More whispers. Then the same dried-up voice saying, Lindsay, this is Aunt Margaret. I must talk to you. Clearly, it wasn't her friends trying to trick her. That meant it had to be Darren and David. She covered the mouthpiece and whispered, It's my creepy brother pretending to be my aunt's ghost. The others rolled their eyes, knowing those what jerks her younger brothers could be. Is it really you, Aunt Margaret? Asked Lindsay, trying to sound like a little girl scared, playing along with the game. Yes, I just wanted to hear your sweet voice again. How corny could they get? Lindsay wondered. You are always my favorite. You loved me best. Lindsay held up the ring and wiggled her fingers as she talked. Well, it was really your ring I loved. The other girls put their hands over their mouths and giggled. I hated going that place where you stayed. And I hated it when you kissed me, because your breath always smelled like sour milk or tuna fish. And all that stuff you told me about when you were young was boring as my jerks of brothers talking about their football scores. So thanks for the ring and goodbye, Aunt Margaret. Lindsay disconnected the phone. She punched star 69 to see where her brothers were calling from the readout was her father's cell phone number they're using my dad's phone that that he was looking for they're not supposed to touch it they must have found it in the car i'm gonna i'm gonna see that they get so busted when i get home when the party ended and the other girls left after dinner missy's parents said they were going to visit the neighbors they left a number where they could be reached even though missy reminded them that she and Lindsay often stayed home alone as soon as they were gone, the girls went upstairs to Missy's room to call their friends and talk about boys and clothes and MTV. Lying at opposite ends of Missy's bed, they chatted into their cell phones. Lindsay was just about to dial her boyfriend of the week when her phone rang. Lindsay, I am very disappointed in you. The same voice. Get lost! I don't think you deserve my ring. I'm coming to get it back. Get real! She broke the connection. The Rito showed her father's cell phone. She, pu she punched the number, but the line just rang and rang. She hung up and dialed her home. Her mother answered. Mom, she said, Darren and David found Dad's phone. They've been using it to call and bug me. They just did it again. That's not possible, said her mother. They've been watching a game for the past hour. And your husband is sure he dropped his phone at the cemetery this afternoon. He's going to check there tomorrow morning. Now her mother sounded worried. Do you think it, w it was a... Do you think it was... Do you think it's a real crank caller? The readout shows dad's cell phone number, Lindsay explained, but there was a burst of static. The phone went dead. Missy looked at her phone 
looked up as their phone went dead too. The lights in the house flickered, dimmed, then went out. Blackout, said Missy. All the other houses in the neighborhood were dark. I don't think that would shut up our phones, said Lindsay. Well, it did, said Missy. Anyhow, I was bored with what Noelle was telling me. And this is cool. We can tell ghost stories. I don't want to, said Lindsay, wishing she were home and not spending the night in a lightless house. The cut-off conversation with her mother had worried her more than she liked to admit. But Missy's folks would be home soon, she decided. Chicken, her friend teased. There was a knocking downstairs at the front door. It, was, it had an odd, echoing sound to it. Thunk. 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 My lisp really came out with those. Thunk. 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 Missy got up to answer it. Don't, cried Lindsay. She couldn't say why she was frightened, but in truth, she was suddenly feeling really scared. You are so stupid, said Missy. My folks forgot their keys or something. Probably the doorbell doesn't work like our phones don't. Please don't go. Stay here if you're scared, said Missy, shaking her head. What a wuss, she left. A moment later, Lindsay heard her running down the stairs two at a time. Lindsay closed the bedroom door and locked it. She heard the front door open and slam a moment later. She thought she heard a soft sound, like something heavy being dropped, then quiet. She listened harder, hoping to hear the sound of familiar voices, but there, were, there was only silence. Her cell phone rang. She snatched it up, hoping it was her mother calling her back. Lindsay, I've come for my ring, you unhappy child. I am at the foot of the stairs right now. Let's play that game I played when you were a little girl. The one your father told me not to play because it frightened you so. But you loved it. You loved being scared. Don't you like being scared anymore? Missy, are you playing a trick on me? This isn't funny. But Missy's phone was still on the bed where she had left it. One step, two. I'm coming for you, said the voice on the phone. Thump, thump on the stairs. Three steps, four. Better lock the door. Two more thumps. But Lindsay had already locked the door. Part of her wanted to shut off the phone, but she didn't dare. Five steps, six. Say your prayers quick. If the phone were working, Lindsay thought, she could call for help. She hung up and dialed her home phone number. It answered on the third ring. Seven steps, eight. Not, too, not long to wait, said her mother's voice. She hung up and dialed 911. Nine steps, ten. We're near the end, said a man's voice. She hung up and threw the phone onto her bed beside Missy's. Eleven, twelve, one step more. Too late for you. I'm at the door. It's, it was Aunt Margaret's angry voice, the one she used when Darren and David's football broke a window in her house before she moved into the old folks' home. Someone rattled the door handle, found it locked, and knocked loudly. Thump, thump, thump. Go away! Leave me alone! I didn't mean what I said! Lindsay started to cry. Gotcha! cried Missy through the door. You're crying! This is better than telling ghost stories. Wait till Noelle and Candace hear that I made you cry. You and that stupid ring you think is so cool. Angry at how she'd been tricked, Lindsay wiped away her tears and yanked open the door. I never want to talk to you again! she yelled. But it wasn't Missy holding Lindsay's father's phone in the muddy hand as the lights came on. I don't like the story. It, it freaks me out. It freaks me out. But that's our Halloween episode. Thanks, guys. I picked those stories by hand. Uh, I picked the scariest ones in this fucking book.
So that was our Grab Bag Podcast Super Spooky Halloween Special. Super spooky, super spooky Halloween Special. Our Instagram's Grab Bag Pod, Twitter Grab Bag Podcast. I'm Ray Robbins, Riley Cedar Geek two four four. Our webs our website is grabbagpodrr.wixsite.com slash my site. And our email is grabbagpodrr at gmail.com. Thanks guys. Stay spooky. Stay safe. Bye.